Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 85. Christina Marie of Vienni Nostalgie. My name's Curtis Payne, and this is my podcast. Uh, Loose, rambling, unscripted, disorganized, unedited conversations with personalities in Richmond, VA. So, um, I've been, you know, obviously a little bit out of practice doing this, and um, when I reset up my equipment to do this last podcast, I didn't plug my microphone in all the way. I thought it was plugged in because when I was getting the levels on this, it looked like we were getting good levels, but that's because these mics I'm using are very sensitive, so the Christina's microphone was also picking up me, but my microphone wasn't really on. So you can hear me just fine, although I sound like I'm talking through a can on the other side of the room. Um, not, it's not quite that bad. But the bad part is is that I guess this recording program was set up to stop itself if it's not hearing anything. So it, was, it stopped itself like three times while we were having the conversation. And I mean, I could go in there and do something about it and fix it and whatever, but I, you know, I just really don't feel like it. So... You, you know, here and there throughout the discussion and the conversation that Christina and I have, which is really cool, it just stops and you'll hear us talk about it, me catching it, stopping and getting going again. And we miss some of the conversation, but that's partly, I guess that was what was meant to happen as we go through with the, uh, my whole defining approach to doing this is whatever happens when the mics are on is what happens and that's what you hear and that's what you experience there is no uh, editing no culling no fixing no I mean I did actually compress this so that it kind of brought my level up a little bit so you can hear me but anyway that's what it is and it was a great conversation I really wish I hadn't had the technical difficulties that I did but I did and that's the reality Words and all of what actually happened, which is a document that I've created and that you get to hear. So we had a good, very good conversation. I learned a lot. I um, will let you all learn it as I learned it in the podcast. But I always thought I met Christina at um, the International Folk Festival, as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast. And um, her project with Evram, who is the baker at Sub Rosa was somewhat described to me and so that I then knew what Yeni Nostalgia was but I had took a long time for me to get around to actually seeing her perform at Gallery 5 and by this time everyone wasn't involved anymore she has new people playing with her um, and she did a show with Miramar and uh, I think they sort of collaborate a bit in there and there's some talk about how this is sort of a growing family collaboration of friends and by the way, I mentioned in here, um, lest anybody get upset by it. Holy shit, it just fucking did it again. I don't know why this is doing this, because I know it's picking me up. Talking. The goddamn thing is shutting itself off. I have no idea why it's doing this. Um, anyway, um, I mentioned how when I was in this band, the Devil Tones, we were on a... Somehow we got Reader's Choice thing for 9 Volt magazine down in Virginia Beach and we were up against Bioritmo Bioritmo for best band from Richmond or some shit and I was drunk and they won and we didn't and I yelled some shit out about you know 
something like I, I mainly because it's, I didn't feel like the music fit in the category. It does not reflect where I'm coming from now or even then. I was just being a drunk ass rock and roller, and um, I love uh, Bioritmo and the output of those guys, and I've always admired what they do. Even though I never really could bring myself to dance like everybody else does with such uh, grace and abandon, I think they're great. But in telling the truth of something that happened in the past, I told this. So I don't need a bunch of people fucking coming down on me for something I did 10 years ago when I was just drunk. So give me a break. Um, maybe you won't even notice. You wouldn't have noticed, but now I've drawn your attention to it. So, oh, well, that shit happens. Um, anyway, I got uh, got nothing else to say here. Let's listen to Christina Marie. I Coming up very soon, I think it's next weekend or sometime this next week she's doing an electric version of Yanni Nostalgia so I'm posting this on March 18th uh, check it out well I'm not, yeah I'm going to post it today check it out I think you will find that uh, her that thing is this week I think it's the 23rd maybe the 26th anyway let's get on into it enough bye I'm starting so what did you do last night uh, I um I went out for a drink with a friend. Yeah. Did you and see any music or anything? Like no, that? I didn't. No. Just hanging out. Yeah, hung out. So you just got a little hummus in you to line the stomach in case. Yeah, it's a good a good way to you know prepare for leaving the house. Mm-hmm. Prepare the tableau. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I I met you one time mm-hmm. previously, I guess. Well, we've I've seen you since then. But mm-hmm. I met you at the. Um, International Folk Festival. Oh, right. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. um, I don't know much more about you other than you're... Okay. You, you uh, have this band, Yanni Nostalgie, uh-huh. right? Is, am I pronouncing that right? Mm-hmm. Yanni Nostalgie. You, and you started that with... Did you do originally start it with uh, Evram? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Evram and I reached out to Evram, I guess it was many, a couple years ago now. Um, because he was really the only Turkish person that I knew at the time. And um, I said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm looking to start a band uh, with this Turkish stuff. It's not traditional, but it's kind of inspired by this vintage style of music um, from the 60s, 70s. And what did, did it have? A, does that have a specific name that vintage style uh well in turkey it's called nostalgia which you know it's um and that means nostalgia so it's like a genre of music and film Mm -hmm. um you know kind of like meant to invoke a a certain era sure yeah yeah the past i mean it's like oldies here really so i mean so the genre in turkey is it Mm -hmm. like oldies that is it was contemporary music at one time Mm -hmm. okay yep yeah, All no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not this whole thing that's been created to bring about the sense of something, longing of something that's past. But, no, or, I mean, they're calling it that now, of course. Okay. But, like, when those songs first came out, it's not like people were calling them oldies because they were newies right. <laughs> at the time. And when, when was that time? Uh, I mean... Uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, early 80s, I guess is what I would call uh, nostalgia music. 
And, and what was it called then? Was it like popular music? Was it rock and roll? It's not rock. I mean, and roll, it was all kinds of stuff, really. Yeah. Anything musically. I mean, Turkey. Um, really, rock music started coming about in Turkey uh, during that time, sixties and seventies. Oh, sixties and seventies. Yeah, fifties. Sort of the pop thing started getting introduced and. Um, they were pulling from a lot of Western and European sounding pop music and mm-hmm. um, incorporating that into their into their sound. So it was something that I really never heard before. The existing sort of folk or indigenous music of Turkey combined with like American rock and roll. It kind of yeah, some a lot of overlap there. And then and then you know there's sort of like this Oriental element to it, definitely. But um, also, a lot of it sounds just very Western or European mm-hmm. with Turkish uh, lyrics. So, uh, t- what was Turkey like at that time period? Like, what is? It? I mean, I kind of pick up stuff here and there about what's going on mm-hmm. there, um, and I know it's kind of the part of the world that's been colonial, mm-hmm. and then it's been it was a colony at one time right or, i mean or, i'm so, yeah i mean i'm certainly no expert yeah. uh i'm certainly no historian <laughs> um i can tell you that during that time you know i guess turkey was probably uh, a little bit behind uh, european culture and fashion and music but sort of following that trend of when things started kind of becoming a little bit more westernized mm-hmm. and maybe i mean every place was sort of uptight going into the 50s and 60s, whether it was America or England or mm-hmm. wherever, and, and rock and roll kind of... Yeah, it was a little more conservative. Uh, rock music changed a lot of things uh, for Turkey, for Turkish music in, in general. Um, Barış Manço, who's considered kind of the the father, the founder of rock music in Turkey. Um, Barış Manço, is, kind of, is that... Barış Manço, is that yeah. Two, that's a first and a last name. Mm-hmm. Barish Mancho. Yeah. <laughs> Mancho. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of paved the way for uh, a different scene. Again, mm-hmm. I'm I'm no expert, you know, on on the topic, but you know, I do know a little bit about it, especially well, because of that, the music. That's all I need is. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to have an exhaustive uh, music historian or cultural, but I'm I'm looking for a little context based mm-hmm. on you and like, did sure. you? Did you grow up in Turkey? No. Yeah. So this, um, where did you grow up? In Roanoke, Virginia. Oh, yeah? Yep. Yeah. In the mountains of Virginia. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And at what age did you start saying, hey, I want to connect to Turkey on this level and um, Turkish culture? Um, I mean, really not long ago. Yeah. Um, I was sort of intrigued by, um, you know, I'm not Turkish. Oh, you're not? I'm not Turkish. What are you? Uh, well, I mean, I'm an American. I have well, European right. and Lebanese descent. Um, and I was always, you know, I think especially as I got older, sort of chasing after the um, the Middle Eastern side of my lineage and very intrigued by that and um, began kind of researching Lebanese music and Middle Eastern music and... Um, dancing as well and I, I kind of belly dancing yeah, yeah. Um, I started learning about that and Turk I started kind of ended up studying Turkish folk dancing for a little while I mean it was just a really brief thing but I uh, was kind of fascinated by that and then I started researching the music and is that the whirling 
dervishes? That's that? Sufi music. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, w- I mean, there's definitely uh, that side of Turkish dancing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not what I was <laughs> really um, kind of exploring, but uh, certainly some overlap there. So I, I grew up with a, uh, well, I went to high school with a, a guy who's originally Lebanese, was family's Lebanese, and there's a whole bunch of Lebanese folks in Richmond. They're mm-hmm. all, I guess, mostly Maronite Catholic, so we all went to Catholic high school together. Mm-hmm. And um, I got kind of interested in at least uh, Arabic um, curse words through them. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff to know. <laughs> but um, the cousin of one of, of my best friend, mm-hmm. um, she wrote a book called Snake Hips, which is about her kind of exploring the hmm. same thing um, and getting into belly dancing. Hmm. And it's sort, Interesting. Of, it's sort of a memoir. Uh-huh. You might want to check that out yeah. at some point. But. Cool. So how did you, what made what made Turkey uh, or Turkish? I, um, I, well, when I was researching the music and, you know, I'm always kind of looking for new music and exploring music that, of the past that's often forgotten here in America. Um, and I discovered this time period uh, that I was really drawn to, which was, um, it was pop music from the 60s and 70s and early 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I heard I heard a song and um, I had been primarily singing and writing in English at that point, but I heard this song and I, I just needed to sing it. I just knew that I needed to sing it and I became fixated on it and I taught myself phonetically how to sing the song. And then I started learning all these other songs that I would, you know, I, I learned the Turkish alphabet and I learned how to pronounce them phonetically and mimic them after the singers. And I was kind of like just becoming obsessed and taping all these Turkish lyrics around on my walls and just like making sure that no matter what I was doing, if it was like washing dishes, that I was practicing the songs. And so that's kind of where it began as I was kind of just having this romantic um, relationship with these uh, songs from the 60s and 70s. That's, and uh, That's really cool. I, I guess, was it kind of like, I mean, obviously it resonated with you for some reason mm-hmm. that maybe you don't can't put your finger on or never will or... I, I, no, I can't. Um, I, I certainly think, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe in a past life or something. I, I don't know. I really don't know. And then if I, you know, I ended up going to Turkey and sort of developing a close relationship with people there and uh, returning uh, once a year and um, that sort of strengthened my bond and my interest in the music and the language and kind of led me to where I am now. Which so is... did you backdoor into speaking Turkish from learning these songs? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, and um, you know, I'm not, I'm not fluent. I'm still learning, but I think that's what I really like about it is that it's been a challenge and kind of been a way for me to experience something kind of like out of body that isn't native to me, but it's kind Mm -hmm. of always exciting and I'm always learning and, you know, writing a song is a lot, you know, a lot more difficult that way, but I like it because it kind of pushes me. I've heard it said that there's kind of two ways to approach learning music. Mm -hmm. One is the language way and one's the math way, Hmm. you know, and like you, I, I, I 
am something of a musician. I'm by no means like a professional, mm-hmm. but the way that I've approached it is the way that you, I started off like speaking. It's like nobody sits you down in a class and teaches you to talk. You know, by the time you go to school, you're yeah. already talking. <laughs> you know, right. you, you picked it up from your parents uh-huh. and stuff. And we're just kind of, we're wired to do that. You know, we're wired to learn languages. You know, sort of it's in our emerging uh, brain mm-hmm. consciousness, you know, in this first mm-hmm. time. There's what's easier to teach languages to young kids. Like, they learn yeah. a bunch of them, no problem. Yeah. You know, they don't even have to be taught them. They just need to be immersed. Right. You know, so it's like you've learned language the music way. You yeah, know, it's, like kind of it's, it's really interesting um, how that happened. And I mean, honestly, I would recommend it if, if you know, anybody's trying to learn a language and they're musical or, um, you know, learning, starting with music is almost like one of the, the most interesting routes I think mm-hmm. you can take. Um, I think it gets past certain resistance that you have mm-hmm. to things like because it is a visceral feeling music you know a lot of times we relate to music from a culture before we could relate to the culture sure you know like it grabs us on the thing that we all have in common which is something human, yeah you know yeah I mean I think music is kind of a universal language it's something that we can all relate to and kind of the biggest thing that I you know, hope for my band and my music is that people aren't scared of it because mm-hmm. it's sung in another language. Because I think you can you can still experience it, kind of like an abstract painting. Uh, you know, I like to tell people what the songs are about, but I also think you know you can interpret it in your own way. Yeah, I mean, how many songs in English do you not even really know what they're saying? Sure. You know, I mean, people <laughs> it's, it's, Louis Louis people have been trying to figure out what Louis <laughs> was saying for many years. In fact, somebody believed it was obscene what he was saying because he's just kind of mumbling. You know, could be <laughs> that. You know, this makes me think of this. I'm really interested in. I'm not interested in sort of contemporary cultural ethnic divisions of people. Like, and by mm-hmm. contemporary, I mean 100 years, 200 years, mm-hmm. even, you know, American. Like, that means you live in America and you're an American citizen. It right. has no ethnic definition. Right. It never was supposed to have an ethnic definition. Mm-hmm. It's supposed, it, it has always been, since the very beginning, a whole bunch of people from different places. Some of them forced to be here, some of them choosing to be here. Mm-hmm. But they're all from different places. Right. And so, little sidebar into that mm-hmm. which is what yeah. you made me think of with rock and roll I think rock and roll and blues and jazz all happened because you took people who were basically living in Africa almost um, a thousand or two thousand mm-hmm. years in the past from where Europeans were mm-hmm. like Europeans mm-hmm. had, had developed and let's not just say Europeans like uh, the whole sort of post uh, Roman civilization thing which incorporated a lot of different kinds of people yeah. and all Islamic world all people who had city states and that kind of civilization you know had you know gotten to the point in England where it's very like disconnected from nature and from the land mm-hmm. it's like it, we live in castles we live in these stone buildings you know it's about god it's about like you know cutting off your natural stuff denying yourself your your feelings, your emotions, whatever, really trying to, you know, get to this ideal, this abstract and, you know, God mm-hmm. thing, Christian mm-hmm. thing, and, and, a, and a Muslim thing, you know, mm-hmm. ruled by these 
uh, what do they call it? The, uh, the Abrahamic tradition, I think, mm-hmm. which like all of these religions come out of Judaism, Christianity, Islam. Mm-hmm. They all kind of come out of this patriarchy thinking and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's... And so England had gotten to this point and its music was more about like elevating, you know, not the folk music that's been around, had been around, you know, it was the old, you know, the peasants and whatever. But, the, you know, the predominant yeah. culture was yeah. about this, you know, like you buckle yourself up in a doublet and like you <laughs> cover your body and you, you know, you everything is kind of repressed and right. underground and, you know, and Europeans came over here kind of like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, different things happen. But like by the 50s, shit was real uptight yeah, in America. Definitely. You know, like McCarthy, that's McCarthy era, right? Yeah. Like, and we had really, we actually had private sector propaganda, you know, telling everybody this is what you're supposed to look like. And you're supposed to buy this washing machine and you're supposed to have this hairstyle. Yep. And you're, you know, and it didn't come from the government. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. technically propaganda but it kind of <laughs> kind of did you know we just didn't recognize it that way yeah and then along comes rock and roll which is like the creation of it's the collaboration of african people who had been not living in that kind of mm-hmm. you know uptight culture they've been living in a more you know basically stone age type of culture you mm-hmm. know hunter gatherer tribal kind of stuff mm-hmm. mixed with people who had gone very far away from that mm-hmm. and those two things kind of colliding mm. creatively is sort of it brought some a little bit of discipline to that very like around the, the uh, bonfire tribal drum thing to the yeah. weird discipline of european music mm-hmm. you know and like that, that sort of Pretty unlocked that thing that's in all humans is that like crazy connection we've got to like yeah. the earth and the cosmos and all of that kind of stuff that's uh-huh. not in our conscious mind, but right. certain shit taps it. Yeah. And I think that shit just came right up through the 50s and like blew it open. It was needed so badly. Like yeah. people weren't screaming at the Beatles. They were screaming because <laughs> they needed to scream. And that's just who <laughs> happened to like take the lid off, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like Keith Richards said, you know, this is music that's heavily influenced by people I'm nothing like. I didn't come from there, you know. But a, a, a dude in Sweden hears Johnny B. Good and it immediately grabs him, mm-hmm. you know. Because it really is all of our music. At some point, everybody's from Africa. Yeah. You know, so deep in the DNA and deep in the genes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's music. It transcends boundaries cultures Mm -hmm. religions yeah i'm really interested in that like the more and more i don't like identifying like with some like some culture i'm supposedly ethnically connected to as my exclusive culture sure you know like my mother is really an anglophile and a francophile and that's what i kind of grew up with and i love that Mm -hmm. but i i love lots of other things and you know these days you kind of get into trouble where it could be cultural appropriation if you (laughs) are into the wrong thing yeah right yeah i mean so many people are still just kind of being spoon-fed what they're supposed to listen to what Mm -hmm. they're supposed to like with popular radio and yeah things like that so uh it's nice to hear someone from the other side (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and you know the thing that you were saying when you would sort of recommend um, that approach to learning. I mean, the the thing is, how do you produce the obsession? Like that's because if I could get obsessed about anything, I would, you know, be able to marshal 
things like that. But for some reason, you I mean, are you do you do you have other things that you've gotten that you know um, obsessed about? It? Um, well, yeah, certainly. I mean, if I had the time, I'd be obsessed with everything. Yeah, I, it's really that comes hard. naturally to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the hardest thing for me has been over the years just being able to narrow my focus and say, you know, if I'm going to do one thing and get good at one thing, I've really got to focus on that one thing. I can't mm-hmm. do everything. Yeah. Um, and that's really, really hard for me. And it takes a lot of discipline because I'm kind of constantly, you know, excited and invigorated by certain other things that I, you know, would love to just like put all my energy into. Mm-hmm. But what I've realized is that I don't, I don't necessarily have the time to do that. Yeah. So I've had to really discipline myself into this one thing. Yeah, I, don't, I hope it didn't stop a long time ago. <laughs> what the hell? We can fill in the <laughs> pretend That's, we're trying to remember what conversations. we said. <laughs> I, I don't need, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's been recorded so far. No, it was definitely recording because I saw the little VU <laughs> things, but something... Um, <clears throat> I don't know where the mouse is right now. It could be the mouse is upstairs, <laughs> and like, um, but I just need to make sure that the uh, the little cursor thing is a far away from the because it'll sometimes just electric impulse will make it push the button. Yeah. Well, that's just great. <laughs> so, so where? Oh yeah. So I think I'm really impressed by that, like, and admire that because I mean I have at times in my life been able to marshal that kind of like I know this thing I really want to do, and I get this vision and I get people on board with it Mm -hmm. um when I lived in New York I did that like I just started playing drums and then I got this other guy who could play guitar and my friend who played bass and we just for some reason the guitar player was willing to play with us when we were just totally fledgling Mm -hmm. musicians Mm -hmm. and and he was really good but I guess because he the other the bass player and and I were best friends so we just yeah we made a perfect rhythm section yeah we practically read each other's minds yeah even on that simple level but I I really obsessed about that like I listened to Mm -hmm. drums all the time and I was like how do I do that I want to do that and you know I really drove it you know right but it's weird I can't do that in this town especially (laughs) it's like I don't know what it is about Richmond maybe it's because I grew up here and this Mm. is like just comfortable you know I'm not driven uh, something or I don't know work takes up all of that energy for me you know? yeah I mean that's a really hard thing to balance is you know creativity like you know certain jobs can kind of suck it mm-hmm. right out of you and then you don't have anything left for you know because it is all work even if it's well, like, it's still work yeah. yeah and the energy comes from the same place to do it so if yeah, it does. I mean, if you can find something to do for a living that, you know, doesn't take it as much out of you, you know, as other things, then that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard work. So your music career before you got obsessed with Turkish music, what were you... <laughs> <laughs> do you mind me saying it? That no. Way? Uh, what were you... Um, did you... Had you played in bands and were doing music before that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was a singer-songwriter in a band called Low Branches, and uh, just a few of us. And um, that was mostly kind of this ambient folk kind of stuff. Um, 
kind of alternative. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've heard it, how you would describe it, but I mean, it was singer-songwriter stuff. What were you stuff. listening to that, that influenced you to do well, it? Maybe that would give me a clue. Everything. I mean, I've always listened to all kinds of music, so nothing that I was listening to there specifically was um, the reason why I was, you know, writing and in that and singing. And, well, were you like a, I mean, I kind of assumed because of the music you're making, like without knowing anything, that you were Turkish mm-hmm. and that in a lot of ways you were not connected to typical pop culture um, or even <laughs> underground like record nerd no. pop culture. I, I certainly not true at all. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm clear. <laughs> I got. I yeah which is like confused there's so many fucking people around now anyway too and there's so many bands and like you get something some cursory attention and draw some conclusions decide whether you need to pay attention to it right or not and yeah um i mean i listen to i'm all over the map i love music i love music from all different cultures and parts of the world but you know growing up in america i certainly have music that's influenced me that's you know, been around. So, what was me. your college? How, how, what are you now? How far from college are you? You uh, have to tell me your age if you don't want to. I, well, it's probably easier than me trying to figure <laughs> out. What, no, I'm 30. Okay. Um, and when I was in college, I was still on my sort of, um, post punk new wave 80s kind of thing um the smiths and morrissey joy division new order Mm -hmm. um stuff like that loved i mean all 80s music um (laughs) not 80s hair metal i I shouldn't say all music (laughs) yeah bring it on yeah um (laughs) that was kind of like where things started for me in high school and then um in college i guess I listened to a ton of different stuff, kind of all over the map, and Did definitely singer songwriters. Here, if you see you, yeah, I went to art school, um, and a lot of singer songwriters, which probably influenced me, Leonard Cohen, and uh, you know, growing up with uh, a mom who was kind of exposed me to things like James Taylor, or Jim Croce. Um, was your mom kind of uh, hippie? <laughs> <laughs> I hope she listens to this. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't call her a hippie, but both my parents were musicians. They met in a music store. My dad played in bands. He plays trombone. He's, you know, picked it up again after a long time, uh, after having four kids and supporting them. He's now starting to get back into it. My mom's singer, songwriter, plays guitar. So, uh, Without me really knowing, I think they kind of instilled that in in me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't really realize it until. And when I say hippie, too, by the way, I mean more like <laughs> like they came out of that. 60s. Well, that was their time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. and they weren't the. They were exploring all of that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the singer songwriter era, you know. Um, so from that, I, I kind of had no idea that I had a vo- my own voice or, you know, I was always writing, writing poetry, and um, I kind of started putting it to music and got this cheap guitar that, you know, like the 
<laughs> it was a really cheap guitar. Like the action was so bad on it that I felt that I really was really bad <laughs> um, until you know I played somebody else's guitar and I realized I wasn't that terrible. Um, it really builds up the grip to play a guitar <laughs> like that, and then you you play something that's nice yeah. with, that's been set up properly, and it's like butter. You know? Yeah. So that's how I kind of started writing songs. You know, the and the first song that I sang in public was uh, Love Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division on an oh, acoustic yeah. guitar at an open mic. <laughs> that's so awesome. I didn't come from a background of Turkish music. That's something that I found on my own and became fascinated with it and uh, found a community of friends in Turkey that uh, support me in that endeavor uh, as well as a small community here in Richmond. So it's certainly not something that's popular or sought after but um in in yeah, that way i've paved cool a very difficult path for myself yeah at the same time you've picked something that's you know unique so you're not doing the same thing everybody else is doing yeah know? it doesn't fit in any well i guess it sort of fits into a scene and because you play with miramar and like even though those are totally different kinds of music yeah, there's roots in another culture yeah. essentially yeah. yeah and even though you know Kind of started out me being inspired by this vintage stuff it's started having a life of its own and even though i'm singing in turkish i'm reluctant to call it necessarily music turkish music or music from turkey i just happen to be singing in, in turkish and mm-hmm. uh, so you're you write originals that are or in mm-hmm. Turkish yeah. and that are inspired by that style uh-huh. of music. Okay. So inspired what's inspired by that and other things as well. What's the proportion of songs that you've written to like covers that you're doing? Well, it started out obviously as I said just covers, you mm-hmm. know, just needing to learn the language mm-hmm. and learn how to sing in that way. Um, we're working on a full-length album of all original music that's almost done. So um, Is that what you were doing last week when you dissed me? Yep. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, These days, man, I've never been so dependent on my calendar before. Talk about like work and music and social life and well, that's okay because I I very often like chump out of these things and I don't have anything else (laughs) to do. (laughs) So thanks for the understanding. (laughs) I totally get. I was actually probably a little relieved, even you know. Because <laughs> as much as I want to do this, it's also a type. I mean, I enjoy this part of it a whole lot. You yeah. Know? But like before somebody comes over here, I'm always like, oh, how's it's almost like doing a show. You, you got to like, set it. How's this going to go? Da-da-da. Yeah. And, yeah. And um, and then when it actually comes to posting it, that is the biggest like procrastination for me. Like, and there's nothing to it. You know, all I have to do is like I record a little intro and an outro, and then yeah, and then upload it. You do know. you listen to it before you? I really try not to do that. Like, yeah, because then you'll like overthink it. Or something. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing with this. Is like I don't want to overthink this at all. Like mm-hmm. I don't. In fact, I want to leave shit in, like fuck ups and dumb stuff and noises and whatever. Yeah. Um, because I think that again gets at that. Yeah, it's real. You know. Well, like, I'll try not to burp. I've been known to like. That would be great. <laughs> Cough and burp all. The only thing that's fucking vocals. unacceptable is this thing stopping. Like, and I don't even know where it stopped. Like, <laughs> so I don't have any sense where we are in time either. But it doesn't really. Matter. Oh. But the other thing is like, I like to leave in 
parts of conversation. Like if I was actually like edit this thinking of like This American Life or some yeah. show like that, then I would be editing it as an editor, you know, with that editorial thing. Like I have this agenda mm-hmm. to put out here. I have, mm-hmm. This is what I think is valuable in this. And that's all you're going to hear. Mm-hmm. And I like letting people hear whatever is there. You know, they might hear something that I didn't think was important. It was important to them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the most important thing is hearing me be inept at it and realizing it's really not that big a deal. If you just want to do something, <laughs> just do it. You know, it's like, yeah. Don't don't hold yourself back because you're embarrassed. Yeah, you know? don't put pressure on yourself about any of that stuff. So the you're thirty. So when did when did you do that open mic level terrace apart? Um, like was? my early twenties, I guess. So were you in college at that point? Mm-hmm. Was that here? Mm-hmm. Yep. We see you. Yeah. No, I mean the open mic. Was yeah, it was at yeah. Elwood Coffee before it was not there anymore. Coffee yeah. shop. There it was, was a over by shop. Elwood's. Yeah, there there was like a separate little place that was open for a while. Really? That was now, it's now like a burger joint, I think. Oh, uh, yeah. Or maybe it's not. I don't know what it is. Is it across the parking lot? Yeah. Oh, I don't. By the clothes clothing consignment uh-huh. shop. Yeah, it was a Highs ice cream store at one point. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, they were doing like an open mic night there for a while. And um, anyway, when well, did you come to Richmond? So this, your thir- I guess this is like ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. A little later. Uh, I think I came here when I was like twenty-ish. So you didn't come as a freshman? No, I I was two years in Roanoke before I came to VCU yeah after I graduated high school so like it's weird to think about numbers and stuff 2006 sure I'm trusting (laughs) you on the math (laughs) oh well that's a hazy time period for me and I left so I don't I guess I didn't meet you until recently because I wasn't here for Uh um a chunk of that like I left in 2008 and came back in 2012 to New York, you No, said? that time I was in Twin Cities. Okay. St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, okay. New York was the 90s. I went up there. Okay. I'm 46. I'm going to be 47 next uh-huh. week. So I went to New York right out of college, you know, with yeah. that whole... I had a bohemian fantasy, <laughs> you know, about being there and being like Jack Kerouac and Henry Miller and all these people. And I got there and found out nobody's into literature. Yeah. <laughs> they're like skating and making outsider art and yeah you know and and so i ended up getting really i actually i had i wasn't that interested in punk rock like as a Mm -hmm. um, approach i didn't even know it was an approach i knew i I saw it more as a um just a fashion yeah i didn't realize it was a kind of a philosophy and yeah you know like a lot of art movements and it really was an art movement like like the same way that many of the painting movements have happened like say the pre-Raphaelites you know they were writing poetry and doing paintings and they, they right. had this whole theme and it was a call up of the past uh-huh. for them you know like classical shit yeah and romantic stuff and right and that's really what punk rock was it was you absolutely know, trying to bring back 60s rock and roll yeah like, you know. yeah and but it was also this like we're just going to get up there and do it whether we know how to do it properly yeah, or not. It was yeah. a DIY right. generation. <laughs> yeah, and so we have to keep battling that notion that there's some other way we're supposed to do it other than ourselves. 
you know, do it yourself. So why isn't that? <laughs> that's yeah. an exception because we have this assumption in the culture that you've got to sit at the feet of a master of some kind and learn sure. a thing. You got to go to the school. You got to study. Like if you want to play an instrument, you've got to go to conservatory or <laughs> you yeah. take classes. You got to be in band or orchestra or whatever. I mean, there's there's so many ways to be a musician mm-hmm. and I'm sure people would argue with me on that, but um, I don't necessarily, I think sometimes it is about training and mastering your craft and learning from the masters and being extremely disciplined with your instrument or your voice and becoming an, an ultimate, you know, pro in that, Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't have to be the path for everybody. Right. You, if you have the drive and the heart and the soul and you know hopefully the talent um there's other routes (laughs) yeah and i think my i always like to advocate for because i didn't know there were other routes you know and i wasn't interested in the discipline route at all like i'm not a disciplined Mm -hmm. person in general like i mean i i am i guess now but that's not my nature Mm -hmm. you know my nature is to do something if i'm interested in it or not (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, you want to be interested in it if mm-hmm. you're going to be doing it. <laughs> but when you know, there's a point where you get with, you know, where you, you got to practice whether you feel like it. It's or true. Not, it's like know? anything. You have to work. Right. And it's I started cello, and I didn't want to practice. Well, I, that's. I, I only wanted to play <laughs> in the band. You know. I mean, that's the same way I am now. I don't want to sit here with a guitar, you know, and practice scales and chords and shit. I yeah. want to learn it by being in the room with people and playing you know it's just like because you know that's where the need is you know the need is where is this working out with these people like am i communicating am i uh, achieving what i'm trying to achieve here but when i'm alone i don't have anything you know about like you don't have anybody it's no context yeah for me you know yeah i mean i think a lot of times it's about finding the right people to collaborate with and to support each other and you know finding your sort of creative magic with other people Mm -hmm. um and that's you know what cultivating a band is about and when there's when there's good energy there then i think it can push you even more yeah and i don't like i don't want to devalue the people that are able to do that like to to really go i'm going to sit here with a metronome or you know i'm going to read out of this book and I'm going to practice. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that's really awesome. And I love the music that is made like that. I got the message wrongly or whatever that unless I wanted to do it that way, (laughs) I couldn't do it that way. And I couldn't do it. And I also thought, you know, because I started playing music to the degree that I have when I was 23 or 24. Mm -hmm. And prior to being in New York, I had kind of gotten the message that it's too late. To start playing music you know like if you weren't doing this there's no point in being in a rock band when you're 30 you should have been doing that when you were you know and so, that's all bullshit but like in case anybody else has that misconception i talk about this a lot because music used to be this thing that everybody did it seems like from what i gather from like mm. you know at one time there was somebody in your family that played the piano and you could all stand around the piano and sing you didn't buy a lot of recorded music i mean they didn't even do that mm-hmm. yet you know you mm-hmm. you Recorded publishing is called publishing because they used to just publish it in a book. And then you bought the book and you could play it at home. Yeah. You know? And um, 
you know, and, and like, <clears throat> as is illustrated in that awesome movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Like, every everybody plays something in, like, whether it's a <laughs> fucking jug or, <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, you know, a wash tub or yeah. something like that. You know, you just... You know, you just get sit around and play music. Yeah. And, like, we got this... I've, we have this weird uptightness still that, like, unless I'm a professional musician, I shouldn't play music. I shouldn't... Like, it's embarrassing. Yeah. If, if I was sitting around with my friends in the living room and somebody started playing a beat on the coffee table, I would be like, knock that the fuck off. That's annoying. You know? Like, that would be my initial thought. <laughs> I wouldn't be like, ooh, that sounds good. Let's, uh, let's see what we can get going yeah. here. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, think about, you know, how many... Um, cultures, music is just, again, none of these people are trained. You talk Mm -hmm. about street musicians Mm -hmm. and uh, also, like you said, it being a part of of family life and um, also, you know, just indigenous music. These aren't musicians that, you know, went to school. Um, It's an innate thing that I think uh, people have inside of them. But do you agree with me that our supposedly free culture seems to squelch or there's some kind of in American culture there is this kind of a message like stay in your lane you know like um, like it might be just white people culture like we're like, supposed to be the best at what we I don't know if that's what the message is as much as it is messages like we don't spontaneously start dancing or playing oh, music. Yes. Or, okay. I know, you know. I know what you're talking about. When people are together, they're yeah. generally hiding behind some social sure. conventions that they're doing. There's an audience there, and they're, you know, very often like having to drink a little bit even to be able to, to be, be around able to, each other. To go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's know. a totally different thing. I mean, I guess I'm lucky to have grown up in a a big family who. You know, we all sit around and start singing rounds and play drums on the table and, you know, grab whatever instrument and we just sing and have fun mm-hmm. together in that way. Um, that I, is really lucky. I think we that's have a awesome. fam- family band. <laughs> it's like my yeah. dad's fantasy. Um, <laughs> and we did California Dreamin'. <laughs> we like all got together and recorded <laughs> in the basement. But I recognize that that's not always. A thing for everyone. I mm-hmm. wish it was because I think it it really kind of enriches your creativity and your relationships with people and incorporating. I, that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I could be just talking about me that I'm. <laughs> You're not getting like, up and dancing. I'm at the drop a of a hat like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really took like. I mean, maybe that's like some people's whole fucking journey and like why you move to places like New York or whatever. Because like in this context of Richmond, I was raised to think about myself a certain way. You know, like part of that is like my mother was her father was a politician and a businessman, you know, fairly high profile person. So how she behaved reflected on him and Mm -hmm. like and how that family behaved. And she was she got the message that you behave a certain way because of the family name and the brand mm-hmm. and the, and your dad's job and like you I mean, you know her father like didn't drive a mercedes because he was an american manufacturer and he had to drive an american car so you're like conscious of all right. of this kind of shit so she raised me like that you know yeah but i started to chafe at it at, at some point you know in different ways but it wasn't 
but I still was like, oh, I can't do this because this is not who I I'm. I'm supposed to right. do this because this is you know I'm this family. I'm this person. Yeah, you get kind of put in a box when you're deep down. We're all just craving our own um, personal expression and independence and individuality. What do they call that? Actualization or something like that? I don't know. I've never <laughs> had a term. For we it. are craving that, and yet we. It's such a scary thing that we will gladly pick a pre-existing one you know that's what fashion is you know it's like mm. there's style and there's fashion you obviously somebody has your own style you're not following anybody's fashion but you know yeah i get i didn't mean that clothing one <laughs> yeah no i well some would say that too. no i don't know what up with what you're wearing and <laughs> but like I, this occurred to me like I was saying it last night because this guy was singing a song called Gimme Fascism. And it was kind of like um, an ironic little sort of punk type song he was doing mm-hmm. last night. Where was this? At uh, Emilio's. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. I went to see, um, well, I know, I went to see the Lucky Stiffs and Iggy Plop, um, <laughs> and which is in a lot of ways the same band. But with one of them, Peter uh-huh. Frank is fronting Lucky okay. Stiffs. And, yeah. Um, and then Dean does the Iggy Plop act Mm -hmm. it's I guess it's more of a tribute than it is a cover Mm -hmm. because he actually dresses up like him and everything yeah but opening up for that was um Ricky Tubb do you know him plays Mm -hmm. he's in Horsehead and um oh okay I know Glass Twin I know of those two bands He's kind of a, like grew up in Richmond, been around a mm-hmm. long time. I end up talking about him on this podcast a lot. I think because he's kind of a, a ubiquitous figure. He just pops up all over the place. But uh, anyway, uh, he and Kevin Inge, who is half of the songwriting team of Horsehead, um, they just totally impromptu, like drums and guitar, did a set. Because mm-hmm. they were asked to just do that. Like, yeah. you, you open up and just do some whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so he, he did this song, Gimme Fascism, and then... A guy I was sitting with who I know was very political was like, you know, kind of just like fucking fascism, like, you know, kind of connecting mm-hmm. it to the current mm-hmm. situation. And I, I feel like we've always been living under a kind of fascism in this country. I mean, it's not as scary as the kind um, that we think of, you know, with the jackboots and the people marching down the middle of the street. But in some ways it is scarier because it is so subtle. It, it's not, it's not, you know, there's... Yeah, there's totally. this incredible push. I mean, digital media has allowed us to circumvent it. Mm-hmm. But like when I lived in this town and I'm just growing up here, I have no way of fucking knowing about all kinds of amazing music that's out there. You right. Know? Unless you just happen to know, like find that guy at the record store that hooks you up with it. Yeah. If you just are, you know, regular old dutiful kid turn on the radio you just hear the same fucking shit that's what you get all the time like yeah oh it's just the rolling stones and the beatles and led zeppelin and they're mm-hmm. all the only bands that matter like it's like mm-hmm. there were hundreds of other bands yeah. like that yeah then and was it that those guys had so much genius or was it they were the the investment like that like people really pumped money into them and made them that band like they picked them out of all of these other bands and said these are going to be right the guys who knows? But like, it, there was very apparent to me before, when I lived here and then moved away. Everywhere you look, people are putting the thing they want you to see in front of you. Yeah. You know, and if you don't but know to have a different inquiry, nobody is gonna knock on your door. No one's gonna come knock on my door and say, "Hey, the world needs this music you're yeah. doing. Let's 
put it out into the world for musicians today, many of them uh, who aren't in the mainstream light, they're the ones doing the work. Mm -hmm. They're the ones giving up their finances for their music and their projects and their press and Mm -hmm. their, you know, um, they're the ones doing the work to get it out there. And that way you have total creative control, which is, you know, the original DIY as represented by like, you know, Minor Threat and those Mm -hmm. bands that were like, make their own flyers, press their own records. Don't get anybody else's money involved in it, you know, because then they can't tell you what to do. Yeah. You know, and I think there's a a huge irony that a a lot of musicians don't realize that that's what they're doing when they let somebody else pay for their shit. It's like that person's money is valuable to them the same way that your art is valuable to you, you know, and so they've decided to invest. And of course, they've rigged the fuck. I mean, the old school system, they rigged the fucking game. So they really don't lose anything. Why is it doing that? Is it like full or, yeah. or like it's out of space? It's something? never done that before. Like. Is the program crashing? No, it's like it's just the record button is like stopping. <laughs> it's, it's just like uh, it doesn't like what I have to say. <laughs> or me. You know, it's usually happening when I'm talking, I think. But uh, it's it's like it's. I don't know. It's just automatically stopping. And usually you, I mean, you have to press stop hmm. for Weird. it to stop. But it's stopping itself. I want to. F- <laughs> Is it falling asleep, maybe? And then it's like. No. Because no. It, like the screen goes black or something? No? Oh, that's really weird. I don't know. No, it's really. There's, I, I don't know what the fuck. The only thing I could figure is that the mouse is upstairs in my office and my cat's fucking with it. Like, because the, there's a remote mouse. Maybe <laughs> I should unplug this. That, maybe that'll help. Oh, you know, I've had the problem where a wireless mouse I had was on and being pressed down by a book. Mm-hmm. And it was like not <laughs> Crazy letting me do shit. Stuff. Like poltergeist shit was Yeah. Gone. There's no reason for it, but I don't, you know, I just think that it's very, we, in order to really blaze your own trail and like, you know, kind of develop your own style and do your own thing. Like if that's what you really want to do, you got to do that on your own dime. And it's never been, it's never been easier to do it on your own dime than it is now. And there are a lot of things that suck about this current situation in that like, Somebody can take, you know, your music is just zeros and ones. So it can be repeated indefinitely and it can be streamed and played and nobody has to give you any credit or pay you or Mm -hmm. anything like that. But, you know, even the expectation and I have been less nice about this when I've said it in the past because I had just come off of driving a forklift for many years and working in a warehouse (laughs) and I didn't really have sympathy for, you know, people wanting to just kind of cash in on music they made one time for like ever and ever and ever. Yeah. You know, like that came about at some point, the idea of royalties, like it's not that old, yeah. you know, it's not really something that musicians could expect, but it has become the expectation that you're, you would make a song and you record it and you pay that money and then you could collect residuals on that shit. Mm-hmm. Like Robert Plant's still getting paid and he ain't doing nothing, no <laughs> more. <laughs> you know? And I don't know if that's, I mean, Steve, you know, Steve Albini, right? Um, he was in Big Black and he became an engineer 
and maybe he was an engineer then. He's in Chicago, and like he's recorded all these bands. He recorded Nirvana in Utero. He, the PJ Harvey's Rid of Me. He did like mm-hmm. the Pixies, yeah. uh, Surfer Rosa. Yep. And he was, you know, he says, "I'm an engineer, and I don't take points. You pay me to do the job one time, and I've done my job. Like I don't need to keep collecting money off of in Utero for." The rest of my life and he could have hmm. been you could be a very wealthy man but his ethics tell him it's like i'm a plumber or i built a house like i don't get to just keep you know it's, if i built a house would i get to keep collecting every it's, time they sold the house you know it's really interesting um yeah i mean in a way it like i guess pushes musicians to keep coming up with the next thing that's gonna last for however long. And to do it because you love it. it. Yeah. You know, not yeah. because you're trying to be this thing, which I think is the thing that kills, that's actually what kills all these musicians, you know? Well, yeah. This when, is very distorted. <laughs> and when money and business get involved, there's less time for creativity and the soul and mm-hmm. where it originally even came from, which is why so often the first record is the best one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also because I think when you make that record, you're doing it totally on your own impetus your own because thing. your schedule you want to do it really bad you know you're and and the second record they're like where's the second record you know where's mm-hmm. your sophomore th- you know follow up yeah, where's the follow up where's the follow up you know there's all the pressure and the like yeah. this is it needs to fit into this mold of whatever and nobody's good at anything when they're totally self-conscious you know right <laughs> it needs to be natural and you know and you're initially i think in the beginning for most mainstream artists they're probably working a lot harder mm-hmm. like you said to create that thing and put it out into the world yeah but you know unfortunately they they totally and maybe this is some of them managed to kind of I mean, the real sort of success story to me is when they managed to kind of pass through that pupil stage of being almost a a plaything and a puppet of this industry, and then get to a certain level of fame where they can really say, "I, you have to let me do what I want to do, mm-hmm. you know, or I ain't gonna do it yeah. anymore." You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like Madonna, and I wish she kind of always had that. I think. Yeah. You know. Sure. Beyonce. Yep. You know, she kind of starts, she just one of like Destiny's Child was just any, like they were good, but like they were totally one of those products Mm -hmm. that have been created. And yeah, yeah. See, people always talk about, oh, you know, this government will be really good for music. It'll be really good for punk rock because, you know, make people angry and just, you know, whatever. (laughs) I don't think to me, being a human being is that state of affairs for all the time, every epic, every era. It like doesn't make any difference what government you're under or whatever there's some internal conflict that leads to this what i think is really good for musicians is that it's very unlikely that you're going to get this record deal you know there's not a lot of them to go around they don't have the money like they used to so you got to really fucking want to do this shit. yeah (laughs) you you have to really want to do it i mean why else would you do it? No half stepping, you know, like, so that means we have lots of musicians out there. I mean, people are saying to me, there's not that much good music. And I'm like, bullshit. There's way more than ever before. It's just that you know? the world is completely saturated with music, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I think it always was. It's just that back in the day, they could, some band could emerge like the Beatles or later on Guns N' Roses or Bon Jovi or something like that and everybody's listening to the same station so you could they could create a sensation out mm-hmm. of nirvana 
that will never happen again because we're not listening to the same stations. We're not watching. We're not all watching MTV. We're not. Right. Our eyes and ears aren't all pointed in the same direction. So there's not going to be a cultural moment of a band like that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's a it's an interesting time. <laughs> I like it. I think that you know what's going on the the backlash and there's always I think to me the way that human culture evolves is like we get adventurous and then we kind of there's a, a a backlash to that and mm-hmm. things get conservative. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we're in the conservative thing yep. right now. But it seems like it's the last gasp of that manufactured American identity that we're all supposed to be white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Christians. We never have been, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but that was the everybody's just like with the rock and roll with the music I was just talking about. Everywhere you looked, that's who they were telling because they basically Madison Avenue apparently one time said we know how to make the perfect or no, the people who made washing machines said we know how to make the perfect washing machine. We need to figure out how to make the perfect consumer for this washing machine. You right. know? And that's what the fucking push has been forever. And it's been just as bad for white people as anybody. Yeah. Like to say we've all got to conform to this like image that has been created so people could sell us shit. So they could make us the demographic instead of targeting the demographic. They created the demographic. Yeah. You know. Well, and the demographic doesn't even mostly know that that's happening. So. Right. There's so what no more, individuality. Like, fucking, like propaganda is like. You know, people under propaganda knew it was propaganda. Like, yeah. they knew this was bullshit coming from the Kremlin or no, this is bullshit coming from... Unless it's, like, North Korea where they really don't have any idea. <laughs> but, like, most of those countries under the, that shit knew what they were... That stuff that coming from the government was propaganda. Mm-hmm. We don't really know that. Like, we're... Like, in general, an average American doesn't realize that they're being told by well, you know very powerful people not the government yeah you know the government's actually being told what to do by the same people yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean it's kind of freaky yeah. <laughs> it really is but you know that's being woke yeah <laughs> yeah to realize that i guess but uh, i really um i'm excited about this so i've only seen you one time and i really oh okay i dug that um cool it was a gallery five uh-huh I, I thought of it as like Turkish torch songs. That's what it kind of felt like to yeah. me a little bit. Yeah, I can hear that. Sure. And that's, I guess that's apt because a torch song means you're carrying a torch for somebody. Yeah. So that's sort of a nostalgia yeah. thing there too. The pain of remembering and yeah. not being able to forget. And yeah. I mean, most of the songs have romantic uh, qualities mm-hmm. and uh, lyrics about love and loss and uh, things like that. So the electric, what is? How different is that going to be? Because when I saw you, you were accompanied by a guitar player who actually just recently friended me on, I think, on <laughs> Facebook. Is his name Ban or or is that no? That's somebody else. No, no, it's not him. Okay, that's but that guy. We have a mutual friend. That just, oh, okay. Yeah. Do you know? Oh. Do you know who Ban Matten is? No, I think I got the same friend request. Hmm. <laughs> Mysterious, because he kind of looked like who I saw sitting on stage with you. So I didn't oh, give really? any other thought. Who was that? Uh, that's Vlad Kujuklu. Uh, he's um, uh, from Moldova originally, and I think he's been here since he was about fourteen. 
Um, but he, he'll be playing electric guitar. We'll have electric bass. Uh, Ray will be playing drum kit. And then we'll have Oh, yeah? Uh, like, like a trap kit? Like a regular rock and roll drum kit type thing? And keys, huh? Uh-huh. So that's the electric lineup. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, obviously a little bit different than an acoustic trio. It's fuller bodied, mm-hmm. a little more dynamics. And um, I think in in many cases it lets a lot of the songs uh, shine in, in the way that I kind of um, have imagined them in my head before other instruments were involved. So, so your goal isn't wasn't necessarily to have it be sort of a quiet... Uh, no, I mean, initially I... Um, envisioned a you know a full band setup of western instruments mm-hmm. um so you know we do that when we can and the record I- includes all of those things with the addition of um string and horn arrangements mm-hmm. um some woodwinds so um it's kind and you've of a gotten bigger all sound. of this together you've spearheaded this whole thing or is there well i've I mean, I, I've spearheaded it, but I've I've certainly had help from mm-hmm. collaborators and um, Marlise Simmons from Biorhythmo and Miramar um, mm-hmm. has written string arrangements. Um, Gary Collar, um, who's kind of somewhat new to Richmond within the last um, couple years, is writing string and horn arrangements. Um, and then, of course, um, Vlad has uh, Vlad Kujuklu on guitar has mm-hmm. collaborated on some of the songwriting with me. Um, and then, you know, the uh, Andrew Randazzo, who um, is best known for his work, he's, he plays bass with Butcher Brown, um, has written a lot of his his own bass lines, mm-hmm. the songs. Um, and uh, Vlad writes his own guitar parts. My thing was that I want to be, I don't want to play guitar. I want to sing and write the songs and um, play a role in that creative process with melody and structure, And um, but I don't want to play guitar. Um, I wanted to be hands-free and experience it that way. That's really cool. So it's... I mean, when I said that, I didn't mean like you're doing it all by yourself, but I meant like <laughs> you, you had this vision that a lot of other people are investing their talent. Yeah. In, but it's, it's your vision. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's really awesome. I think that's I mean, and, and I think that's the thing that you can hope for more than and better than some record industry person investing in you and saying I see some potential but I want to completely change it instead you have other musicians who see your vision and say they want to invest their yeah talent and time into it that's fucking beautiful yeah I mean hopefully it it um I mean I think the most important thing when you're working with any other creatives is that you remain positive and that it's a thing that um people enjoy doing and enjoy mm-hmm. being around each other and it's kind of maintaining that sort of uh, positive outlook and mm-hmm. and really pushing it as much as you can um, and hopefully having support so that there there is a payoff for the other musicians who are involved in it and investing their time it better just be that they dig it <laughs> and well you have to dig it <laughs> that's interesting but, that yeah. Ray's like Ray and um, 
I don't, I don't really know him, you know, like I, I, but I've been around this town a while and I remember when Bioritmo mm-hmm. appeared and, and it was kind of, there was this guy, Jim Thompson. Have you met him? He's, yeah, I know him. Yeah. I mean, he, he was originally like, you know, an art school band guy who was in alternatives and stuff. And then there's this point, he kind of became like you, like, he's like, I'm going to explore all of these different, mm-hmm. you know, kinds <laughs> yeah, of music. He's really and paved his own path. For- yeah. Yeah, that's a, like he's got a whole late was that electric, electric cowbell, cowbell, and then I'm gonna try. I'm going to Northern Virginia tomorrow, and I just contacted him. I'm gonna try and get him while I'm up there. Yeah. Um, but you know, he he and Ray and and all of those guys really blazed this whole other trail. Like we're not doing Richmond's like math rock, punk rock, hardcore, you know, mm-hmm. thing, which is kind of exclusively what people of a art school sort of background were. Yeah. Doing, you know, if. Mm-hmm. And they just were like, "No, we're gonna put on these fucking suits and wear these ga- goddamn <laughs> pork pie hats." Yeah. And like, I mean, they call it know. indie, uh, indie salsa. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Ray's Puerto Rican, um, but it's definitely its own brand of salsa music. Yeah, it's definitely with that. I mean, it's American music, you know. And I think he, you know, goddamn. I just remembered this. I w- we were up against. I was in this this band called the Devil Tones, and we were like kind of motorheadish punk kind of mm-hmm. biker gang <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> and it really wasn't my. I mean, that was one fraction of my sensibilities. But I just just did it. You know, like I just committed to that thing and that. And and mm-hmm. we were up against Biorimo for the same award for Nine Volt Virginia Beach's um <laughs> like you know weekly publication. They had mm-hmm. the Nine Volt Music Awards and. We were being voted for this thing. It's almost like Metallica, you know, up against uh, Lady Gaga, you know, like in, in the Grammys. You know, yeah, we didn't belong in the same funny. fucking category at all, but they won, you know. Yeah. And I yelled, I heckled something for it because I was wasted. I yelled some shit about like, oh, man, fuck this Puerto Rican music or some shit like that. And I didn't really, you know, I didn't mean anything other than like I was mad that we lost. But I didn't really <laughs> expect to win. But Ray said from the stage... American music. Yeah. You know. Made in America. Yeah. It's all American music. America is, is that by definition, undefinable. And I think it's you important, know? especially in the current political climate, to embrace that as much as possible. Yeah. And Americans are everybody who's mm-hmm. here. And that's, that's, right. that's that. No, we're, there's no... It, the, the bad is trying to... And that is the fascist element that has always been here. Mm-hmm. And in the guise of fashion is my favorite thing to say. You know, fashion <laughs> is fascism. You know, yeah. And telling everybody what they're supposed to wear, or listen to, or whatever—that's that is actually damaging. You know, yep. but it seems voluntary, and it isn't if you don't know what the other choices are. Sure. You know, demanding that there's some cultural, a dominant culture, and the dominant culture is commercial culture. It doesn't come from any particular. I'd say that a lot of even so-called white people would not recognize it as they've as their actual culture it's not european it's fucking frito-lay and maytag and ford and all of the things that they're the marketing guys colluded yeah, to create that they decided they're drawn to i guess fucking capitalist propaganda well they did i don't think they decided i don't think they hadn't knew any better you're you're you're right what they're, they they're watching were... three channels for like <laughs> yeah most of this yeah. I mean, I know I grew up like, and the only relief, thank God, was like um, Norman Lear, 
you know, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. He was doing all in the family, showed, you know, how grotesque that old mentality was mm-hmm. and like contrasted it and, you know, but also made that grotesque guy lovable. Yeah. Like you'd shut Archie Bunker the fuck down right now that he's not on TV. He can't <laughs> be on TV. Yeah. You know, like we can't we can't even just tolerate that kind of speech, yeah. period. You know, yeah. But in the 70s, like he was shown for what he was like. This is. And then he was he was played against people who weren't like that. And then right. he was allowed to have a character arc and like right. grow, you know, and unlearn some of that shit that he believed. Yeah. You know, yeah. And like to me, that's I mean, that's what I grew up with. And I don't that voice is not in our like it's like you hear something bad. Shut that the fuck down. Like <laughs> shut that guy off. Like get rid of him. Take him off the stage. Right. You know? And the thing is, there's too many of them to take them all off the stage. And a lot of them have just... They've been propagandized into this thinking. Yeah. You know? It's not... They... You're right. They they really don't know any better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I, as a neoliberal, often say, can we have compassion for these people? And that doesn't mean we let them do whatever the fuck they want to do. But if you recognize the connection, the human thing how did that happen i think you had a better chance of unraveling it if you know how it got braided together i'm with you on that i think it's you know it's way better to come at it from that standpoint than it is to just hate people and hate what they say and do and you know it's easy to get frustrated by it but you really that's not really where you get i'm as equally frustrated by (laughs) it as i am the intolerance of the left right now Mm -hmm. because i've learned so much myself about that which is in me that i would be like i would found unforgivable and i've had to redeem myself over many years and like straighten up and change and like grow and like i found myself in a community of people that allowed me to do that without judgment Mm -hmm. you know and my life is different if i had stayed condemned you know, I would have just kind of marched into this, like, you know, lonely. Downward. Maybe I'd be living in a trailer spiral. somewhere, you know. Yeah. If you could call what I, I mean, yeah. Like, but it was this sort of, some group of people said, you cannot, you, you, you can be redeemed for this. You're not let off the hook. You've got to, you got to apologize. You got to straighten it out. But, you know, recognize that it, you know, what got you there and like what effect, you're accountable to what you did. But you can change and you can grow and you can be a better person and you're allowed to be, you know, and we got to allow. I mean, it's just so much more miraculous to me when somebody changes their way of their own accord because a good example was set for them. Right. Then shaming them into it. I mean, talk about the whole (laughs) prison system and all that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's because you're not getting that message in prison. You're just that's just a microcosm of the outside world mm-hmm. in there with all the same stuff. Yep. You know, and people, it's still capitalism. Yeah. Except you're trading cigarettes and sex and drugs and yeah, all of that. It's all the same, same game. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. Another Norman Lear thing, and and do you know uh, Valiant Thor, a band that's in town? There's a guy. Um, he was on here as a singer for the band. I won't say his real name because I don't know if he likes he likes to keep his <laughs> his persona valiant himself. But um, he he reminded me of this another Norman Lear sitcom, The Jeffersons, where there was um, one of the characters. There was a racist family living in George Jefferson's apartment building, mm-hmm. and George Jefferson was black, you know, and he yeah. like he'd. Um, and they wanted him out of there. And I, I remember I, I remember the conflict. I don't remember the details. But at one point, the um, 
the dad needed blood transfusion or he needed an organ donor or something like that. He needed something to survive. The dad who was super racist and his son that he was indoctrinating with all of that shit. Um, going around like being a, a menace to the people in there. The dad needed an organ transplant or something. And mm-hmm. George Jefferson offered his gave, yeah. organ. Yeah. And so when the guy woke up, he said like he found out what had happened. And he was like, you should have let me die. You know? <gasps> but his son really saw how fucked up that was and Sorry. it changed his yeah. son. And this wow. is, I mean, this is the kind of shit that used to be on American television. And like, I'm not crying. My <laughs> eye, my you better eye. be crying. That was very touching. So touching. I mean, <laughs> it is anyway, actually. <laughs> we could, um, I don't know how. What, t- what time is it? It's 127. Yeah, it's probably. Okay, so probably. Do you know any um, bad words in Arabic, Lebanese and stuff? No. None at all? <laughs> No. Not even Hara. Hara? What uh-huh. does that mean? Shit. Oh. No, yeah. I'll remember that. <laughs> no, I mean I, I I didn't really start cursing until <laughs> I mean, even in English <laughs> until I got much older. It was kind of forbidden in my house and even as I got older I was like it was just like it wouldn't even come out mm-hmm. if I wanted it to. Um and it wasn't until probably the past few years that it somehow worked its way into my vocabulary. But, but do you know what my my catch, my it's not really a catch thing, but my greeting on this show is, it's namaste, motherfuckers. <laughs> nice. So do you think you could come up with a sentiment similar to that in Turkish to end the, uh, end the show? It doesn't have to be the exact same thing. But, uh, know, a combination of the sacred and profane, you know. I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that. How about, you know, like a blessing and a, and then a fuck you or uh, uh, it's not really motherfuckers. Not really. Fuck you. That's a loving thing. Actually. Yeah. It's a, um, but it's a coarse one. So something highfalutin and something coarse paired together in Turkish. I'm really putting you on the spot. All right. Yeah, you are. Um, le, let's see. I honestly don't know how to say anything rude or really? mean in Turkish. And I've been told things before, not to me, but, um, you know, I've had people tell me what certain things mean, but I just don't You didn't record re- that. Remember so you're not it. interested in that part of Turkey, in that part of <laughs> Turkish. <laughs> I've, I definitely haven't focused on it. <laughs> All right. Well, then some kind of farewell in... Um, in Turkish. That, okay. İyi akşamlar. Çok teşekkür ederim. And on that note, we will sign off. Thanks for coming over. Thanks for having me. <laughs> now I really want to stop it. Let's see if this... Okay. Yeah, so I looked it up, and it is March 23rd um, at Vagabond which is the restaurant that is next to the National. And they got this cool little room downstairs where you can you can have some loungy shit going on. Some <coughs> DJing and uh, music going to be happening down there. Yenny Nostalgia going electric. And um, next up on the podcast, I've got uh, John Swart. John Swart been in a bunch of bands back, back, back in the day. It was that... Um, God damn it, come into my brain, uh, Jolly Mortals, yes, Jolly Mortals, and uh, more recently, Gilmore Guys, and then the Woke Dudes um, keyboard, 
thing. See, I think they should have called it Two Woke Dudes so that it kind of fits the um, play on sitcoms thing. But, uh, you know, they didn't. Somebody said, well, there's four of them. I was like, so the fuck what? Like, Two Woke Dudes. There's four of us, but you guys, there are only two of us are woke. you got to figure out which two that is. That would work very nicely. It would be very avant. But whatever. It's not called that. It's called The Woke Dudes. Four keyboards going at the same time. I haven't seen it yet. Gotta check it out. Um, guys, there was a lot of good music in this town. It's crazy. And like hardly anybody knows each other. Uh, or a lot of people don't know each other, which was just not the case when I was... Back in my day, everybody knew everybody. And we all hung out at the same place. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I went to a really cool rock show last week. And it was uh, Satan Satyrs and... Uh, I don't remember anybody else's name from that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah, Sick Bags. Right, that was the real reason I went. Because um, my boy Tony Bitch Beach, um, and he was supposed to come over today, and he blew me off, rescheduled. We're actually going to be, I saw his band Sick Bags, they were great. And there were a bunch of other bands, Barbed Wire that night, and Rose, a band with a rose in their name, I can't remember, but it was all a lot of good rock and roll. So much good music in this town. It's crazy. but And I don't even really like to go out anymore. And I can, can barely stand being in clubs and places, hanging out with people. But, man, i got to get over that because I'm missing out. It's awesome. And uh, you know, we're going to be trying something different here. I haven't really, we haven't really hooked it up, made it happen yet. But um, my friend Steph, uh, who I used to know as Steph Toxic, um, Steph Roshi, who uh, has a little clothing line, Leopard and Lace. Uh, she, I want, I've been wanting to have her on as a guest, but we've been thinking it might be fun to just have her as a co-host or a foil or an, a, somebody else involved. So we're going to try and get her and Tony together at the same time since they're friends. We'll see if we can get that together. But look, be looking out for that. We're going to try something new. Um, or maybe it'll be a totally different podcast because I've got shitloads of time to do podcasts and do, spin off a bunch of crap. Like I'm in the nerdist industries or something. I wish. Anyway, uh, it's nice to talk to you all again. And uh, I hope you're all out there enjoying this shit that I do when I feel like it. And um, if you'd like me to work harder on it and do more, then just let me know. Because as far as I can tell, it's uh, vaguely um, going out into space. So anyway, peace out, friends. Namaste.